Welcome to the Child Care Bar and Grill. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson. Joining me is co-host, Anita Dinger. Why don't you order a drink, kick back, grab an appetizer, and join us for some child care conversation. Hey, welcome to episode six of the Child Care Bar and Grill podcast. I'm Jeff Johnson here with Anita Dinger. Today we're Hello. There's Anita. Today we're talking about questions. You ever get any weird questions from kids or parents? Hmm. If you haven't noticed, Jeff's putting me on the spot a lot here, guys. So I'll tell tell one of my favorite question stories, and you think of one. Okay, so um, it's years ago. I think the kid, I think Sam is in second or third grade now. When he was two and a half, he was potty training. And we're, we're in the bathroom, and, and I'm sitting on the edge of the tub, and, and he's sitting there trying to poop, and he's, he's, he's constipated, he's potty training, and he's just seen Star Wars for the first time. And so we're sitting there, and we're singing the, my, the song I wrote. It's called, it's the poop song. It's push it out, shove it out, way out. And, you know, we, especially the boys. We, we, Nothing like relaxing the yeah, well, it's a, rectum with that beautiful it's a, it's a, it's a, song. Anyway, we're singing that, and we're talking and everything. And then out of the blue, Sam says, Jeff... Does Darth Vader poop? And <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> okay. after, after we wrapped things up with Sam, I, I couldn't wait, wait to make it to the computer so I could Google it. And and this was years ago, so there, I know Google's maybe there's an answer there now, but there wasn't really. If you Google Darth Vader poop, uh, there weren't really a lot of uh, a lot of hits, and so I, I did some thinking. I think um, on the Death Star, I think it's in Empire Strikes Back. He's Darth is sitting in that thing, and and that pod thing comes up, and his helmet's coming down on his head, and you can see all his his deformed, burnt up human head, brain things, and everything. And I figure out that's the the Death Star porta potty, and uh, and so so I couldn't wait to tell Sam about this, but I added to it on that, that control panel on Darth's chest. If you look really close, there's one of those little handles, like on a gumball machine, and Darth turns that and then pulls out this little tray, and, and that's where Tootsie Rolls come from. <laughs> nice. I don't, I don't think my wife Tasha's eaten a Tootsie Roll since I told her that story. Oh, funny. Have you got any questions yet? Any questions? No, no. I was actually paying attention to what you were saying, wow. and my brain apparently can't think and listen at the same time. How about, how about this one? Why? Why? Oh, yeah. Why? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. Why? How? That's one of the, that Tasha, that's, that's the thing that gets under her skin. When I, when I talk about burnout I, I, at sessions, we, we talk about, you know, there's those things that get under your skin as a caregiver. And for some of us, it's the, the repeated questions. Why? 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 And that's one for Tasha. And, and so... It's good that we work together because I can feel those kind of questions all day long, uh, but but she has a real hard time with them because it's just it's just like you're getting bricks thrown at you, boom 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 boom, and and you just got, constantly got to be on your toes to respond to those kind of things, and that's hard for somebody to do. You know, I kind of throw it right back at them. Yeah, I'll just say, well, why do you think? Ah, oh, that's sneaky. Yeah, because their answer is far better than mine. But I can't think of any questions. And I know I've had doozies of them. I need to write this stuff down. What about from parents? Do you ever get questions from parents that make you go, huh? No. Gosh, I'm totally drawing a blank on this one. So how do questions make you feel? Like my question a couple minutes ago. Like, like I asked a couple minutes ago, um, got any questions from kids or parents that are memorable? And then I got this kind of blank look and this pause and... How'd you feel? Empty. I had no, I'm nothing. 
Yeah, I think we I think we feel that a lot as not just as caregivers, but as people. Sometimes we feel like we're we're put on the spot when somebody asks us a question. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's that emptiness. You said sometimes it's it's just just blood-chilling dread? Well, it depends on the tone that the question is asked because sometimes questions can make you feel attacked. Do you have any questions? <laughs> and I don't have an example for it, but I know I've felt that way in the past, but I can't put my finger on it. Remember in elementary school when the teacher was asking questions and, and sometimes you were, were you, which kid were you? Were the one that you had your arm raised as high as it would go or you were the one that, that Jeff avoided making Really? Eye Do eye you eye think eye. I was the type of kid that raised their hand? I just talked. (laughs) Danita's 30-second book review. Let's start the timer. Hey, we're back with another 30-second book review. Here's Danita. What do you got for us? Today I've got The Gruffalo by Julia Donaldson. The beautiful thing about Julia Donaldson is the rhythm that she puts in her books. So I'd like to read just a little bit to you. A mouse took a stroll through the deep, dark wood. A fox saw the mouse, and the mouse looked good. Where are you going to, little brown mouse? Come and have lunch in my underground house. Anyway, Julia Donaldson's The Gruffalo. Excellent book again. Great for imaginations. Hey, in just over 30 seconds, thanks. Bye-bye. This has been Danita's 30-second book review. Parent questions. Um, do you ever interview, interview families and they show up with the, the list of questions? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, the worst question. The, uh, these questions mean that you are not coming to my daycare. If they ask what I serve, if I serve warm meals, if they ask if I have a dog, and if they ask, what's the other one? Oh, there was one other. Because it's like, if those are the things you're most concerned about, then you don't deserve to be in my program is kind of how I looked at it. If you're most concerned that if I have a dog, if I serve warm meals, and gosh, I can't remember the third one. If I have a fence, maybe? I mean, to me, those there are those are important things to know, but maybe not top of the priority list, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. So, what what would be the top question? Mm-hmm. You use crack on a daily. <laughs> one, one that I used to drive. I mean, I'd almost hang up on them. Was uh, how much does it cost? Oh yeah, that's yeah. If that's their first question. Yeah. Question. We don't want them in our program. Yep. Another one. Another one we got. Um, got a lot or got sometimes was was I I'd be the one talking to them and and the question would be uh so you you work with the kids oh yeah and uh uh and and sometimes I I, I had people say well that's just wrong and <gasps> really yeah because no because if you're a dude and you work with children you're automatically considered to be a pedophile or something that's sad. Uh, that's because that's and, that's and it's true. I mean, I know. Yeah. It's, it's because you know people bring their own baggage to stuff, and so you know you don't know what kind of crap people have in their lives. But but that's the reality for some people. Mm-hmm. And and I'm glad they hung up because we don't want that in our program. Right. Um. But that was that was always one I heard a lot, and and, uh, and so those questions can kind of weed people out of your program. It's real easy. You have any questions you ask parents to f- try to figure out if they they're going to fit in your program? <laughs> Have you ever told your child no? Because <laughs> if they say no to that, then they're not coming to my program. 
a yes, a yes all the time, child. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's important for caregivers to come up with a list of of questions that they have for parents to try to try to see um, in those initial interviews if they can develop that goodness of fit. Because mm-hmm. if you know what I hear from caregivers all the time is that working with the kids is the easy part. It's working with the parents and finding parents that fit. In the you know. A good question would probably be, you know, now that I think about that, because I've never really thought about this, what do you expect your child to bring home every day? And if they were to say worksheets or papers or anything along those lines would probably be not a good fit for my program. If they say stories and smiles, experiences, messy clothes... Ding, 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 ding. So this week we're talking about questions. And once again, Danita and Jeff were so kind as to tell me to take it wherever I wanted to take it. And so I've been thinking about it and a lot, actually, because this topic coincides actually with a week that I have been doing some um, observations in in, uh, in schools, lots of preschools this week. And the question that keeps coming up for me is why people do this. And I mean, I have a list of questions and I wrote them all down and I don't want to get all like heavy and real deep and philosophical about it. But I think there's an element of that depth that is missing in our profession, especially when we discuss why we're doing what we're doing. I want to know that everybody who wakes up every day and takes care of children, who opens their home to children, who shows up at a center and works with children, who opens the doors to their kindergarten, their first grade, and welcomes children in, I want to know that they know why they do what they do. And that's a big question, and that's a personal question, but it drives the rest of the day. It it influences every single interaction. It 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 I think that <laughs> if you don't know why you're doing it, if you have lost that that if you've become disconnected from the fact that your relationships override every single other thing that you're doing with the kids, we, we've arrived at a very, very scary spot. At the end of the day, we need to make sure that our relationships with the children are the first and foremost consideration in our program. And I am going to work really hard at creating, nurturing, and responsive and engaging relationships and environments if I am able to answer that question, why do I do what I do? Um, I wonder why we tolerate poor practice, which is evidenced in too, too many too many places. Um, I wonder why we tolerate it. I wonder what will have to happen uh, before our profession decides that we've had enough. I have lots of questions. When I first started teaching laminated lady, uh, poopy face lady, she told me that I asked too many questions. (laughs) And then she put me in a timeout and told me that I had to think about what had just happened. Uh, I ask three questions a lot of people. Many of you are familiar with them. 
the, these three questions are what I kind of define as my definition of intentional teaching, which is a buzzword right now, as many of you know, the art of being intentional, of, of being an intentional teacher. My definition of that, the way that I assist in kind of bringing that back into your brain is asking, what are you doing? And why are you doing it? And who is it for? And my intention behind asking those questions is never to put anybody on the defensive. It is to make sure that we are working from a place of being in the moment and that we have not just fallen into a rut and that we're doing the same thing now over and over and over. Because if that ends up happening, we're going to get bored and we're going to get frustrated. And then before you know it, we are getting burnt out. And then before you know it, we don't know why we do what it is that we do anymore. And now we are once again compromising those nurturing and responsive relationships. I have lots of questions. And, and, and I also know that we could have taken this topic in 99 different, different ways. You know, questions, are we asking children questions, but are we asking them closed questions? Things that have a yes or no response, because that's very limiting. It shuts the conversation down. I will remind you to ask open-ended questions, questions that actually require thought and response and not just a token yes or no. I will also remind you, if I may be so bold, to please, 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 with all the love in my heart, stop asking children questions that you know the answers to. And, and if you, you do that, why, why are you doing it? Now we're back to what are you doing, and why are you doing it, and who is it for? Why did you ask him that question? Did, was there some part of your adult brain that felt that you needed to quiz them or test them on, on some bit of knowledge? And, and if so, why? And, and if you do need to go in and gather some observation information, I will challenge you to figure out open-ended ways of gathering that information without turning it into a drill-and-kill testing exercise. Are we asking false questions? We ask children a lot of false questions. Here's a false question. Are you ready to go to bed? That's a false question. <laughs> are you ready to go in? Because what are they going to say? They're going to say no, but you're going to say line up anyway. If, if there isn't really a choice, you got to make sure you're not setting it up as though there, there is one. And beware, we're going to talk about this today actually at the workshop that I'm doing. Uh, beware of the can. That's my new thing. Beware of the can. What is that? Stop. We say can all the time. Can I? Can I sit next to you? Can I do this? Can I? Can you put this on the shelf? Can you? I, I mean, children, they'll, they'll look at you. You'll say, can you go put this on the shelf? They'll be like, yeah, I can. And then they walk away because <laughs> they're too young to get that you have, you know, used what we would call like a social, it's a social cue as adults. If I ask you, can you go put this over there for me? You realize that that's a very polite way of me saying, go put this on the shelf. When you're two, three, four, five, you, you don't get that. That's a social cue. You haven't learned that yet. If you're needing children to put something away on the shelf, then you say, hey, go put this on the shelf. Hey, go put this on the shelf. But the can, watch out for the can. We say it a lot. And it implies that there is a choice. And 99% of the time, uh, there is not really a choice. So I, I mean, I think those questions, the idea of questions, that's some of the practical things that I think about 
what about questions, but but of course, as many of you know me, I, I really I, I got I, I ask a lot of of philosophical questions in my head, which is why I don't really sleep so much um, any anymore. Why why are we still fighting a play versus learning battle? Why? I don't and I don't have the answer to that. But that's a big question in my head. And, and something I've been thinking about really, really, really recently is what are we doing that might be very subtle that is contributing to that, the, the, the continuation of that false battle? You know, if I have on my schedule that, that at, at, from 9 to 9.30 we're doing reading time and 9.30 to 10 we're doing art time and then from 10 until 10:15 we're doing math time and 10:15 to 10:30 we're doing science time but then from 10:30 to 11:30 we're having play time my schedule visually just reinforced that what was happening prior to play time was somehow different than what was happening during play time when in actuality all of those other elements should be embedded in what we are calling playtime, which means that ideally, without getting too much on a schedule riff here, because maybe that's something we can talk about at another time, but your schedule should be that, you know, the kids come in at probably, what, 6, 6.30, go home around 6, 6.30, and, and in that time, we're inside quite a bit, and we're outside quite a bit, and when we're inside, these are the kinds of things that children might be playfully exploring, but there's an element of play infused through the whole day. How could there not be? as though from 10 to 10.15, whatever we might be calling math is playful, it's not playful? Is it applying that it shouldn't be playful? I think th those are big questions that I'm on the cusp of really having some thoughts about. And I don't know if I'm a little bit more all over the map today than, than, I, than I usually am, but I do ask a lot of questions, and I ask a lot of questions of my own self. You know, I, I think I, I like to think I hold myself accountable to the same, you know, um, what, intentional awareness of, of what you're doing and why you're doing it and who it's for. I, I hold myself accountable to the questions that I ask of, of my readers and my audience. Um, I don't feel that for any reason I'm exempt from needing to still engage in that self-awareness and that self-analysis and the constant investigation of the program and what we're doing and why we're doing it and who are we doing it for. So I do ask a lot of questions. I continue to encourage people to ask questions. If somebody comes in and tells you that you're not allowed to do something, I'm going to encourage you to ask why. And that's not permission to be rude or sassy or disrespectful, and many of you know that about me. That's, that's not the angle I take. The angle I take that is, is that as a profession, I think we have rolled over and turned into doormats, and it would behoove us to grow our spine back. And by asking some questions and gathering information, I think we will become collectively a lot more confident. And when we start to move as a group, in a confident and assertive and professional manner, we might finally get some of that power back that we, I think, unintentionally started giving up in the late 90s. But that, too, is a story for another day. So I think I'll, I'll wrap it up here, my contribution anyway, to this week's discussion by asking, what questions keep you up at night? What thoughts every now and again contribute to your lack of sleep? 
What keeps you up at night? Two, two four-year-old girls is the extent of our child care program now because we haven't enrolled new kids for close to three years now uh, because we're going to be we're going to be letting everybody age out of the program here in a couple months. Anyway, the, the two girls were, were playing, and one of my favorite questions to them, when they because they get deeply involved in stuff, and I just like to ask, uh, well, what's going on here every once in a while? And what I got the other day was, well, we're zombie vampires, <laughs> and we're veterinarians, and we're moms, and so we're taking care of these lost animals, and the ones that die, we suck their blood out. And, and the, the explanation went on for about five minutes, and I just kind of, kind of, it's nothing I would ever expect, but the, the language that they use, when you ask them questions, they, they bring their vocabulary to, to, uh, to the moment, and uh, it's such an such a opportunity for them to share their thoughts and their ideas and their, their evaluations of the play that's going on. And uh, so those, those questions, us as providers, as caregivers, as adults, as parents, asking kids questions can be a very valuable teaching tool because it, it helps lead their learning and helps them, uh, helps them verbalize the learning that's going on. Um, a good one that my, a group of my kids years ago, and it's just stuck, um, they started playing a game at lunchtime called What If? And it just simply started, I don't know, a child, he, she must have just been looking out the window while we were eating lunch, and she said, what if the sky was purple? And the whole room burst out into laughter, and then someone said, what if the grass was spaghetti? And they laughed and laughed and laughed, and, and it was interesting because it was great also for vocabulary, not only because... Did they have to come up with the words to say, but they had to come up with the wrong words to say, like what would be silly for this other thing to be. And so this simple game of what if um, just has continued to grow and grow and grow. And every day, almost every day at lunchtime, we play what if, and they're the ones that start it. Somebody will start it, and then it's just a giggle fest. And it's fun to watch the little ones when they try start because, of course, they will say what is. So what if the grass was green? <laughs> and, you know, it's so kind of the older ones to still chuckle at the that. There's always, the one, there's always the one that says, but the grass is green. <laughs> but what if is a, is a fantastic question. And another, another important thing about those questions is that the, re the research says more words a child enters school having in their history, the more words they've heard in their first five years of life, the better prepared they're going to be to learn. And so questions are, are a great way to add words into their day. We've got too many kids that aren't conversing at all with, with parents uh, during the rest of their day. They, they show up at childcare, they're falling, falling back to sleep in their car seats on the way to our programs. And uh, at the end of the day, mom and dad are tired and, and everybody hurries uh, to eat a meal and that's bedtime. And so there's not a whole lot of time uh, for conversation. And parents are trying to decompress from their day and so they're not feeling very talkative. And so our early learning programs are a great opportunity to build vocabulary, to build language, and to provide that solid foundation for, of words and, and questions, whether it's kids asking them or us asking them of kids, are a great way to, to, to add to that, uh, that, that language bank they're going to head off to school with. We've talked about plopping a lot. You can always plop a question or a question to go along with a 
something that you've plopped in the environment. And sometimes I'll just throw it out like just really nonchalantly, like say um, it's just uh, I plopped a, a new set of blocks, just an odd shaped set of blocks or whatever. And I just might just kind of under my breath, so maybe only one or two kids even hears me. And I'll just say, hmm, wonder if you could build something that's taller than the kitchen or taller than the chair or I wonder if you could do something that would reach the ceiling or I'll just throw questions out there like that that just puts a challenge into their day we'll see you next week in episode 7 thanks for joining us health and happiness bye bye hey that's my <laughs> I know Jeff does it better no 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 I don't I don't want to do it come on you can do it Jeff be a big boy you can do it who's a big boy come on <laughs> oh, I can't help myself. Bye bye. <laughs>